Okay, we're gonna get going here, assuming all of the sound stuff's ready to go. We're good? Okay, let's pray and then we will get going. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Um, and thank you for your people gathered around your word, Lord, to see what it says about how we ought to live in community uh, with one another. And Father, I just pray that this would be um, one piece, one fruitful piece uh, in a puzzle of us moving towards um, a, a community that looks like Jesus Christ would have us look. This, this we ask in Jesus' name and for his fame. Amen. Morning. How's it going? What you up to this week? Isn't, isn't this horribly unbearable? <laughs> yeah, this is pretty awkward, and we have this exact kind of conversation every Sunday, and we kind of spin our wheels on that conversation. It's kind of like a facade in front of our face. And some of us, like, some of us, these surface-level conversations are a really thin veil in front of us. Like, at any moment, some of us could cry or just burst out all of our troubles for the week. And some of us, that kind of stuff is like pushed so far back that it's actually a really thick veil in front of us, um, superficial conversation. And we actually don't want people to ask us how it's been going or anything like that. Like last night I was changing my oil and the nut on the oil pan, it came off like really easy, like actually concerningly easy. I, I think the last guy hand tightened it. And then so I disturbed it just a little bit and then a whole bunch came out, a bunch of oil. And then the filter... I was in that shop probably for an hour longer than I needed to be because the filter was on there so tight. Like Carson was helping me but laughing at me also because it was kind of funny. But I was using every wrench I had and it was only crushing the filter and nothing was coming out and it wasn't budging. And in a grand moment of clarity, I said to my wife while thinking about Sunday school, some people in the church of God are like that oil nut on the oil pan. You know, you disturb them a little bit. You just, you don't have to do much. And they just, a whole bunch comes out. You know, there's not much in front of it. And some people in the Church of God are like that oil filter where no matter what you do, you can't get it to budge. You can't get anything out of it. And there's two extremes there. We don't want to be unwisely open. And then we don't want to be so open that that anything could set us off and we're, you know, um, yeah, so we don't want to be unwisely open, but we don't, want, we don't want to be shut off. We don't want to communicate that we don't need each other or anything like that. And so the goal of this Sunday class is we're going to go through a book by Ed Welch called Caring for One Another. Um, I'm just going to teach through that. We're going to have discussion. You have notes on the front. You can take notes on the back as the discussion questions. Hopefully I'm not going to take too much time teaching this morning because I'd like to actually leave a decent amount of time for discussion and groups after. Um, so basically what's going to happen is we're going to go through eight points that Welch makes in this book about how to live in community, how to not be superficial, how to communicate we need one another, and how to just spiritually be present for one another. Oh, perfect. I was going to... This is the book. It's very good. Is this in our library, Chris, or is this... Yeah, it's Okay, great. So this is in our church library. I would really recommend you sign it out if you use ebooks. Um, I found it on every ebook platform that I could think of. So Caring for One Another, Ed Welch. I'd really encourage you to get it and go through it while we go through this. Um, It's a very helpful book. So I'm going to teach through this, and we're going to discuss the discussion questions together. And today we're just going to get right into it. We're going to start with his first um, lesson, How to Live with One Another, called With All Humility. So open to Ephesians 3 uh, and start in verse 14. And we're going to read that soon here. Um, On your notes, you have four headers, the gospel, community, humility, and prayer. So we'll, ah, that's not necessary. You guys have those on your 
sheets. So we'll start with the gospel. So up until Ephesians 3, Paul's kind of been exegeting the gospel. He's been explaining the gospel, talking about the riches of the gospel and our, um, our benefit from the gospel. So by the time you get to 314, where Paul starts talking about how to live out gospel community, he's assuming the gospel. And we don't have time to go through Ephesians 1 to 3, but can somebody just give me like a really brief summation of the gospel? Anybody? God made man and sin. So if Jesus took away all of our shame and all of our sin, what does that do with our relationship to God? Like, it frees it up, right? If Jesus took away my shame and Brad's shame and uh, Mr. Roland's shame and Curtis's shame, what does that do to our relationship with one another? There's no wrong answers. It's not trick questions. Should give freedom to share with each other. Yeah, exactly. It should give freedom to share with each other. You know, it's not insecure to be needy. It's the most secure thing in the world because neediness, if it's healthy neediness, outflows from gospel security. You know, you know what Christ has done for you. You know your position because of the gospel. And so we can be open in community with one another. So the gospel doesn't just go, you know, this way. It goes this way. I'm sure we've all seen that analogy um, before. So somebody read Ephesians three fourteen to 21, and this is Paul sketching out gospel community, or starting to. He gets more practical later, but if somebody reads three fourteen to 21, that'd be great. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is made, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Lorinda. So that was very packed, full of like wonderful doxology to Christ, a wonderful just thinking on the love of Christ, really theological. There's like an eternity of things you could unpack there. Why would I say that 14 to 21, that just that cluster there is talking about Christian community? It kind of sounds like it's just talking about Christ in a you know, exhortation way or in a theological way. So why would I say that that is talking about Christian community? Can you prove it from the text? I'll ask a different question. Is that the love of Christ, knowing the love of Christ, is that supposed to be worked out with just me or is that supposed to be worked out together? Is that supposed to be comprehended together? Verse 18, comprehend with all the saints. Exactly, that's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah, this is talking about community This is supposed to be worked out with all the saints. So to comprehend the length and the depth of the the love of Christ and to be filled with the fullness of God and and to walk worthy of the calling with, with which we've been called, we're supposed to do that with all of the saints. I I can't understand verses uh, 14 to 21 on my own. And it's not that we work this out with all of the saints just by showing up and rubbing shoulders with them on Sunday. 
this is supposed to be progressively worked out and experienced with all the saints. You can't experience this solo. You can't experience this without being active in your church community and, and um, depending on one another. So this amazing love of Christ, so, so we have the gospel. The gospel frees up our relationship with God and it, and it frees up our relationship with each other, right? That produces security. You're secure in your position so you can be humble. And then that humility, that uh, gospel humility creates community. And in this community, that is where we work out the depth of the love of Christ, you know, I just read Life Together in a mod I just took. And while I was preparing this Sunday school, I kept telling myself, don't teach Life Together. Don't teach Life Together. Because it was such a good book. And it kind of accords with this so much that um, it's, 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 it was pretty good. But one of the things that Bonhoeffer points out in that book is that all of the grace of Christ, every, you know, forgiveness from Christ, love from Christ, exhortation from Christ is supposed to come to us from each other. You know, it's not some whimsical, magical thing while you're praying. And, and we all know that there are times to be alone with God and get that affirmation from God personally without people around. But broad scale, the kingdom of God is set up in such a way that Jesus kind of forces us into being needy for one another to experience his love, his graciousness. And so Ed Welch wants to paint for us in this book, how, how do you actually do that? Because it's easy to say it, um, but he gives a lot of good practical pointers how you actually do that. So, can somebody read Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, but stop at verse 1. I'll cut you off. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you would call. Okay, so Paul's exhorting us to, to live out that community calling from verses 14 to 21. And so how do we do that, Paul? So now it's going to get really practical in verses 2 to 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. With all humility is what we're going to focus on today. Um, I have my new King James here. I forgot my ESV at home, and I don't really have a practical ESV. But, but my new King James says, with all lowliness. And I thought that that was really helpful because... We have misconceptions of humility sometimes, and so to say lowliness helps put this kind of humility that we're going to talk about today in context. So, again, what does humility say to one another? Like, um, what does humility look like out loud in the church? Is it, is it super dependent? Like, is it very, very, very dependent to where you're kind of overly needy and you can't get any off anybody's back? Is that humility? No, that, that actually might be kind of selfish, actually, because... You're not considering other people's boundaries or anything, but is humility independent also where, you know, you're, you're, you're an island? No, humility is not either of those things. Rather, humility is interdependent. So humility says, I need God and I need you. It's not that I need God and I can deal with you. I need God and the least person in this room I need you, you know, I need you guys and you guys need me. And I can say that not because I'm so great, but because the Bible says that we need each other. You know, the lowliest saint is needed by the, the mightiest saint and, and vice versa. So humility says, I need Jesus. And it's not that I can put up with you, but I actually need you. And like I said, it's interdependent. It's, it's not either extreme and it's not insecure. It's very secure in our gospel position. So how do we learn to be um, needy and humble? How do we learn to be a, a humble kind of needy? 
you, you can just shout out any example. Like, if we did this, that would practically show that we need each other. How do we practically show each other that we need each other? More specifically, how do I show you that I need you? Not how do I show you that you need me? <laughs> ask for your help. Ask for help, yep. Any other examples? Don't ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. Chris, it's like you've read the book or something. <laughs> so yeah. Don't do everything myself. Yeah, you don't do everything yourself. You, you get people involved, even if you don't really need them. You recognize there's something about the Church of God that you do actually really need them, even if you don't perceive that you do. You know, you need people there. You need help. And what we're really going to focus on today, like Chris said, was asking for prayer. So asking for prayer is a really good practical way to show that I need you. When a lot of people think of humility, here's how they think of it. I will pray for you, and while I'm praying for you, I will not judge you for being not as smart as I am. That's how a lot of people think about humility. So I'll help you, I'll pray for you, and I'm not going to point out how much higher up I am than you and look at how humble I am, right? That's not actually humility. And I mean, there are times where there's saints at a lower spot than us, and there is a humble way to pray for them and not point out that, that you're in a better position for them, of course. But that's kind of where some people think humility stops. Rather, needy, interdependent humility is supposed to actually reach out and say, not only do you need me, I'm not going to point out that you're so silly, I need you. Can you help me, right? Can you pray for me? I have this problem in my life. Can you, can you help me ask God to solve it? Because we both need him, and I need you to experience this love of Christ from Ephesians 14 to 3.14 to 21. And there's a few things that hold us back for asking from prayer. We're a lot quicker, I think, if we're quick to either to pray for somebody than we are to ask someone to pray for us. And a couple things that could explain that is, one, just pride. We might just be prouder than we ought to be, and we need to learn to ask people for prayer and be needy. Um, the other thing holding us back is we might have been hurt by somebody in the past that we've reached out to. We might have trusted somebody to help us with the struggle, and they burned us. And so as a short-term solution, or we want it to be a long-term solution anyway, we put these veils up, and we put up these superficial conversations. And sometimes, like I said, it's a thick veil. Sometimes it's a thin veil. Um, and we think we're helping ourselves and healing ourselves, and we think we're secure that way. But if we believe that, that this love of Christ, that, that he has set up the kingdom of God in such a way that this must be experienced, that God's help must be experienced with all the saints, that short-term solution is going to burn you in the end. You're not designed to not ask for help. Nobody, nobody gets off the hook here. You either ask for help or you will eventually suffer for not asking for help. And you can decide, but nobody can live functionally and healthy as a Christian without asking for help. So even if there's, even if there's hurt there, I know it's tough to work through that to ask for help, but it's something we have to just, you know, sometimes it gets down to we just have to believe that the word of God is true. We just have to believe that God knows what's best for us in community despite our past experience. And so we ask for prayer. So how do we ask for prayer? Well, Ed Welch gives us a couple pointers on that. First is, identify trouble in your life. If it takes you a long time to identify trouble in your life, then you're either very, very fortunate 
or you're very, very not thinking about it. But a lot of us, everybody here has trouble in their life. You know, for however many heads there is here, say there's 25 people here. There's 25 unique sets of of problems and um, things we have to work through and insecurities and hurts and and sins, you know. Um, You're not fooling anybody and I can't fool anybody. and, And we know that deep down, right? Everyone here is dealing with something, you know, even if they have a facade of false maturity or security, and there is genuine maturity and security, but everybody here, it shouldn't be too difficult to identify trouble in your life. Like I said, whether it's financial, um, relational, spiritual, uh, sin issues, things like that. So identify trouble in your life, and then, this is sort of obvious, this is how Christians should always pray, but it was helpful that... Ed Welch pointed it out. So once you've identified that trouble, connect it with certain scriptural promises. So there's a verse, oh, somewhere in Romans. I think it's Romans 8. We do not know how to pray as we ought, so the Spirit gives intercession for us. A lot of guys have made that out to be speaking in tongues or some woo-woo-woo thing. What that actually is, is we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we don't always know what's best for us. So what's it mean for the Spirit to give intercession? Well, the Spirit will use His Word in His people to show us how we ought to pray. What do we need to be asking for? Is this a better marker? Yeah, we can't read it. Oh. Also, just the right finger. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to rewrite that, but if I write anything else, I'll use this. So this says identify trouble, arrow down, you know, connect it with the scripture if you want to write that in your notes on um, how to pray. And that seems kind of obvious, but we don't really always do that. And so, like I said, the spirit gives intercession for us. Well, it, that at least means that he uses his word to show us how we ought to pray. And so we need to be able to learn that skill when praying for ourselves, praying for others, and when asking for prayer. So if I'm praying for myself and I'm trying to get over a particular sin, well, my prayer needs to be rooted in the reality of the word of God or else I might get disappointed that my prayer is not answered. But God has made promises in his word that you can wrestle with him for. And you might have to wrestle with him for those promises, but he will answer them because they're promises in his word and God cannot lie. So here's an example. I'm, I'm struggling with a sin. I think I'll never be able to beat this sin and I'm praying that God would help me. What's a promise I can grab onto? Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He promised that. He will complete it. I know that even if it takes until the day of Christ, this sin will be eliminated in my flesh, in my life, all of those things. So we want to pray in light of the promises that God has given us, or else we might end up just praying into the wind. So this is a, you know, Welch points out that this is a tough skill to develop because there's so much scripture But he also points out that most times, even if we can't have an exact scripture in mind, which we should eventually train ourselves to do, we know the gist of what God has promised in his word. And but as we're training ourselves to get those scriptures in mind, to pray for ourselves, to pray for others and to ask others to pray for us well, that's just another way to ask for help. So if I'm asking Jason to pray for me, um, well, there's a few examples that he gives in the book. I'll just read them here. Okay, here's a few examples right out of the book. Say I'm asking someone for prayer. Here's how I'd ask them to pray biblically for me. Sometimes I find it hard to even pray for difficult things in my life. 
Would you pray that I know deeply in my heart that God cares and invites me to pour out my own heart to him? And that's based on Psalm 62.8. The next, I've been sick for a while and I get really easily discouraged. Could you pray that I would be able to turn quickly to Jesus when I feel especially miserable? 2 Corinthians 4. I've been snippy with my spouse over the last few weeks. Could you pray that I live with humility and gentleness as we figure out difficult things together? Ephesians 4.1. So you want to know what you're asking people to pray for you. Because you might be asking a weaker saint who doesn't know exactly what to pray for you to pray for you. And you need to understand, you still need that saint. You still need them to pray for you. And so we want to be able, like I said, to ask people to pray for us well, pray for others well. And if you can't make these biblical connections yet in your prayer life, just be humble, be needy, and ask others for help. Hey, I'm struggling with this this week, and I don't even know how to pray about it. Can you encourage me with some scripture? Can you pray for me? Can you help me pray biblically through this? So, some big takeaways that we want from this chapter, like you have in your headers. So, again, we have the gospel, which creates community among us because of our security in what Christ has done for us. And that community is is to be worked out. We know the love of Christ with all the saints. And that works itself out through humility and a bunch of other things. We're focusing on humility, and humility says, I need Jesus, and I need you. And one very good practical way to shout that humility is to say, hey, I need you. Can you pray for me? And learn how to um, get people to pray for you well. So just going through my notes, making sure I didn't miss anything here. Okay. Nope. We are going to do group time now. I purposely left a little more time for group time than usual because if we discuss these questions well, it might take some more time. I'm just going to read this. They're on the back of the pages that you were handed, by the way, the discussion questions. What we'll do is this looks totally fine. Everybody in this row can be a group. Everyone in the center row can be a group, and everybody on the right can be a group. Um, I'm going to join one of the groups and discuss and pray with one of the groups. And at um, quarter after, I'll just stand up and I'll open the doors. And whoever's greeting today and handing out uh, bulletins, if you want to just be mindful of the time. So at quarter after, you can do that. And if you're still praying at quarter after, don't, don't feel rushed or anything like that. Um, and also don't be offended if I just stand up and walk out of whatever group I end up in. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to read these questions from my notes so that anyone online listening will be able to uh, hear the questions. And then, like I said, I'll join a group and we'll just... Uh, be done. I'm not going to come up here and officially close the class or anything like that. Just it'll dwindle off in prayer. So be mindful of the time. And other than that, you are, you are free to discuss these. So one, have you ever asked another person to pray for you? How did it go? Two, practice making the connection between your needs and God's promises. If possible, identify specific scripture, but that isn't necessary to begin. You could practice with your own needs or use artificial scenarios like these. Health concerns, financial fears, relationship difficulties. Three, how do you hope to grow in being needy? Who might you ask to pray for you? And four, take time to pray together. So that's what we are going to do right now.